Section 63 of The Toilers of the Sea by Victor Hugo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Chapter 13. What One Sees There and What One Gets a Glimpse Of. Dazzling gloom. Such was this surprising place. The palpitation of the sea made itself felt in this cavern. The external oscillation swelled, then depressed the internal sheet of water with a regularity of respiration. One seemed to be conscious of a mysterious soul in that great green diaphragm, thus rising and falling in silence. The water was magnificently limpid, and Gilead distinguished in it at various depths submerged stations, projecting surfaces of rock, of a darker and still darker green certain obscure depths were probably unfathomable. On each side of the submarine porch, rough drafts of flattened arches, full of shadows, indicated little lateral caves, side aisles of the central cavern, accessible, possibly, at the period of very low tides. These crevices had sloping ceilings, with more or less spreading angles. Tiny beaches, a few feet wide, laid bare by the excavations of the sea, stretched under these obliquities and were lost there. Here and there seaweeds, more than a fathom in length, undulated beneath the water like hair waving in the wind. One caught glimpses of forests of sea-plants. The whole wall of the cave, under the water and out of the water, from summit to base, from its vault to the point where it merged into the invisible, was hung with these prodigious blooms of the ocean so rarely perceived by the human eye, which old Spanish navigators called praderias del mar, meadows of the sea. A luxuriant moss, which possessed all the shades of olive, concealed and enlarged the swellings of the granite. From all the projecting surfaces sprang slender crimped ribbons of the rack from which fishermen make barometers. The light breath of the cavern waved to and fro these shining bands. Beneath this vegetation, the rarest jewels in the casket of the ocean were both hidden and displayed. Eburnai, strombi, mitre shells, helmet shells, purple shells, whelks, struthrolaria, and turreted murex brandaris. The bell-shaped limpets, resembling microscopic huts, adhered to the rocks in every direction, and were grouped together in villages in whose streets roamed Ascabrians, those beetles of the sea. As pebbles could enter this cavern only with difficulty, shellfish took refuge there. Shellfish are the great lords who, all bedecked with embroidery and gold lace, avoid the rude and uncivil contact of the populace of pebbles. The shining heap of shells formed beneath the waves, in some spots, ineffable radiations, across which one caught a glimpse of a throng of azures and pearly tints and of golds, of all the shades of the water. On the wall of the cavern, a little above the line of high tide, a magnificent and singular plant was attached like a border to the hangings of a rack, continuing and completing it. This plant, fibrous, thick, inextricably bent and almost black, presented to the eye large, tangled, and obscure sheets, everywhere dotted with innumerable little flowers of lapis lazuli hue. 
in the water these flowers seemed to take fire and one fancied them blue living flame outside of the water they were flowers under the water they were sapphires so that the waves as they rose and inundated the base of the grottoes clothed with these plants covered the rock with carbuncles at each surge of the billows swelling like lungs these flowers were bathed and shone resplendent at each fall they were extinguished a melancholy resemblance to destiny it was inspiration which is life then expiration which is death one of the marvels of this cavern was the rock this rock now a wall now an arch now a binding beam or a pilaster was in places rough and bare then close beside these the most delicate natural carvings an indescribable something which had much intelligence was mingled with the massive stupidity of the granite what an artist is the abyss such and such a section of wall hewn squarely and covered with round bosses in various positions presented a vague bas-relief before this sculpture which contains something of the cloud-like one could dream of prometheus making rough sketches for michelangelo it seemed as though that genius might with a few blows of the hammer finish what the giant had begun in other spots the rock was damascened like a saracen buckler or inlaid with niello like a florentine fountain basin it had panels which seemed made of corinthian bronze then arabesques like the gate of a mosque then like a runic stone imprints of obscure and mystic nails plants with small twisted branches and tendrils interlacing above the gold of the lichens covered it with filigree this cavern was in some respects like an alhambra it was the union of savagery and goldsmith's work in the august and shapeless architecture of chance the magnificent moulderings of the sea covered as with velvet the angles of the granite the cliffs were festooned with magnificent liana grandiflora hanging gracefully and which ornamented the walls as if by intelligent designs wall pillatry with strange clusters displayed its tufts tastefully and appropriately all the coquetry possible to a cavern was there the surprising eden-like light which proceeded from beneath the water at one and the same time a marine penumbra and an elysian radiance softened down all lineaments into a sort of visionary diffusion each wave was a prism the contours of things beneath these rainbow-hued undulations had the chromatic shades of optical lenses made too convex solar specters floated beneath the water one thought that one beheld fragments of submarine rainbows floating in this auroral pellucidness elsewhere in other corners there was a kind of moonlight in the water all splendors seemed amalgamated there to accomplish some unknown and hidden deed of darkness nothing could be more disquieting and more enigmatic than that sumptuousness in that cave enchantment was the dominating note the fantastic vegetation and the shapeless stratification agreed and were harmonious this union of wild things was a happy one the ramifications clung fast while having the appearance of 
touching lightly. The caress of the savage rock and of the untamed flower was profound. Massive pillars had for capitals and ligatures frail garlands all permeated with a quiver. One thought of the fingers of fairies tickling the feet of behemoths, and the rock sustained the plant, and the plant strained the rock in its embrace with a monstrous grace. The result of these deformities mysteriously adjusted was an indescribably sovereign beauty. The works of nature, no less supreme than the works of genius, contain something of the absolute and are imposing. Their unexpectedness makes them imperiously obeyed by the mind. One is conscious of premeditation, which is outside of man, and they are never more striking than when they make the exquisiteness of the terrible stand out in sudden relief. This unknown grotto was, so to speak, and, if such an expression be admissible, siderealized. One there experienced all the unexpectedness which stupor contains. That which illuminated this crypt was like the light of the apocalypse. One was not quite sure that the thing existed. One had before one's eyes a reality stamped with impossibility. One gazed at that, one touched it, one was there, only it was difficult to believe in it. Was it daylight which came through that window beneath the sea? Was it water which trembled in that gloomy basin? Were not those arches and porches the celestial clouds imitating a cavern? What stone was this underfoot? Was not this support on the point of becoming disintegrated and turning into vapor? What jewelry of shells was that of which one caught a glimpse? At what distance was one from life, from earth, from men? What was this rapture mingled with these shadows? Unprecedented, almost sacred emotion to which was added the gentle uneasiness of grass beneath the water. At the extremity of the cave, which was oblong, under a cyclopean archivolt of singularly correct design, in an almost indistinct hollow, a sort of cavern within the cave, and of tabernacle within the sanctuary, behind a sheet of green light interposed like a temple veil, a stone with square sides could be seen bearing a resemblance to an altar. The water surrounded this stone on all sides. It seemed as though a goddess had just descended from it. One could not refrain from imagining beneath that crypt, on that altar, some eternally pensive celestial nudity whom the entrance of man had caused to disappear. It was difficult to conceive of that august cell without a vision within it. The apparition evoked by reverie reconstituted itself, a flood of chaste light on shoulders hardly seen, a brow bathed with dawn, an Olympian oval of countenance, mysterious roundness of breasts, modest arms, tresses falling loose in the aurora, ineffable hips modeled in whiteness against a sacred mist, the form of a nymph, the glance of a virgin, a Venus rising from the sea, an Eve springing from chaos. Such was the dream in which it was impossible not to indulge. It was improbable that there should not be a phantom there. 
a wholly nude woman bearing a star within her had probably just been on that altar on that pedestal whence emanated an unspeakable ecstasy one imagined a whiteness living and erect the mind pictured to itself amid the mute adoration of that cavern an amphitrite a tethys some diana who could love a statue of the ideal formed of radiance and gazing sweetly on the gloom it was she who at her departure had left behind her in the cavern that brightness a sort of light perfume which had emanated from the body of that star the dazzling radiance of that phantom was no longer there one did not behold that figure made to be seen only by the invisible but one felt it one was seized with that trembling which is voluptuous delight the goddess was absent but the divinity was present the beauty of the cave seemed made for that presence it was because of that deity of that fairy of that pearly iridescence of that queen of the zephyrs of that grace born amid the waves it was because of her one fancied so at least that the subterranean cave was thus sacredly walled up so that nothing around this divine phantom could ever disturb the obscurity which is a respect and the silence which is a majesty gilead who was a sort of seer of nature dreamed in confused emotion all at once a few feet below him in the charming transparencies of that water which was like liquid precious stones he perceived something indescribable a sort of long rag was moving in the oscillation of the waves this strip of rag was not floating it was swimming it had a purpose it was going somewhere it was swift this rag had the form of a jester's bauble with points these points which were flabby were waving they seemed to be covered with a dust impossible to moisten it was more than horrible it was foul there was something of the chimera about the thing it was a creature unless it was an illusion it seemed to direct itself toward the dark side of the cave and to sink into the depths the dense waters grew darker above it as this sinister form glided by and disappeared End of chapter 13. What one sees there and what one gets a glimpse of.